You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson, former NFL scout, former longtime ESPN employee where I got to know and become buddies with my friend here, Mike Sando, who joins us every Thursday. Mike, what's going on, man? Not too much. Unlike... You know, last week when we had a bad Thursday night game, I love the one this week. So we'll get to that, I think, on the back end of this. And in the meantime, we got a ton to discuss. Yeah, and it, it hits home. I'm, I'm, I have a my press pass sitting here. I'm torn if I should watch from my lazy boy or go all the way down and spend an hour go, driving. Go, What are I, you talking about? Just think of, think of you as a fan before you were a scout and got close to this stuff. Would you even debate? You got to. I go know. I'm so spoiled now. And I never go to any games. It's the only games I could ever go to are primetime Pittsburgh games. Yeah. I should, I know, but I get lazy and I, I love my laptop and my system is, works pretty yep. well as it is, you know. I anyway, since we, can, since we got together last, it's not massive news, but it is news, newsworthy and I haven't brought it up yet to our audience here on the Lockdown NFL podcast, but Des Bryant is now a saint. Um, my initial take on it... <laughs> you never and, thought you'd say that. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> very well done. Uh, uh, my initial take on it is it'll probably take him a week or two until we see anything from him. And I really wasn't all that impressed with his you know, final you know, performances with the Cowboys. But I think they look at him as Marquise Colston. You know, that he's going to be almost like a tight end. I mean, a big slot. Use him a lot near the goal line. Clearly, they're in it to win it. You know, they're they're allocating resources to win the whole thing now. And I think it's going to be a lot different from Dez's perspective, just in terms of accuracy with the guy throwing to him now as opposed to oh. Dak. I mean, so when he's covered, yeah. Breeze is going to still get it to him. I think that's, that is a huge difference because Dak isn't comfortable throwing to guys when they're covered. You know, I think that right. was one of the reasons why... Uh, Des Bryant, well, yes, he has diminished physically. There's no doubt about about that. He uh, His production probably went down more than it should have. And I think that's one of the reasons Dallas thought, hey, if Amari Cooper can get open a little better, which remains to be seen. I mean, we can talk about him. We're going to later. But um, the Dak might be ready to let, let the ball rip. Well, Des Bryant, I mean, like you said, Drew Brees can put it on him when he's not open, doesn't have to have a ton of separation. You're going to have two really veteran players, a very savvy quarterback. What I'm interested in is, you know, Des Bryant has not been known for uh, lining up all over the place in an offense like that. Is he going to be static? Is he, are they going to move him around? Are they going to find creative ways? Or do you just line up and, and he's big and you throw to him? Yeah, the, I think the learning curve for Des might be, you know, something to keep an eye on. Sure. It's hard to come in in the middle of the season. And, and, you know, one thing that I remember I had a good discussion maybe 10 or 12 years ago with uh, Warren Moon about what makes receivers great. I was doing this piece for ESPN on the greatest receivers of all time. And I talked to all these guys from Raymond Berry to Ted Thompson. It was a great group oh, wow. of guys. And one of the things Warren said that really separated receivers in his mind is how do you do when you change schemes? You know, when you can go. Um, you know, that was one thing he thought, you know, Terrell Owens went to multiple places and had 200 yard games with like all of them, you know, I mean, yeah, good point. uh, so what can Des do at this stage of his career in a different, you know, unfamiliar scheme that 
It's not automatic. Yeah, something that I, I became really aware of in the through the fantasy community when I did a lot of work with like Christopher Harris and Matthew Barry and those guys at ESPN was rarely does a receiver change teams and increase production. You know, like history shows that they're it, it's not usually as rosy in their new home as their old home. Yep, and for you know some of that's probably because once you change you. If you're really great and on top of your game, you don't change teams, probably. That's part of it. You're probably declining when you change teams most of the time. Um, So that's got to be a factor. But I think some of those other things come into play. You know, how you are used is a big deal. Not everybody can transcend that. If you can transcend that, you're probably not changing teams. Well, that's going to lead me into the bulk of our conversation today is you wrote a really good article earlier this week about... You know, we have hindsight now of half a season to look at. What were the best and worst off-season moves around the NFL? And I hadn't really thought about going receiver in, in any shape or form, but Allen Robinson went to Chicago. You know, Watkins went to Kansas City. And your biggest move is the Chiefs trading Alex Smith to pave the way for Patrick Mahomes. And clearly things are working out pretty well for the Chiefs. I, I think... The Washington side of things is a little more debatable, but it's nice that not only the Chiefs freed up cap space by moving Smith, but they picked up a corner too. Yep, yep. No, it's look. None of us knew how good Patrick Mahomes was going to be, or how quickly, even if you loved him. So I would say this though: Andy Reid probably knew. Yeah. He's probably the least surprised of anybody. I mean, he's had this guy in practice, and so. He basically knew he had the next Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, right. So it probably wasn't as huge of a risk to him. He was probably more excited to do it. But still, um, when you have a good winning quarterback, and, and I believe the Chiefs from when Andy Reid got there, which is when Alex Smith got there, and through that season, I believe they were second to the Patriots in win percentage. So they, you know, they haven't won a lot of playoff games, but they've they've won, and it's hard. And unusual to move on from a guy coming off a career year at the quarterback position. I did do some research on that, and I believe since 2001, there's only been four times when a quarterback had at least 400 pass attempts in a game. So he was your guy all season and went to the playoffs and then got traded. And it's like Brett Favre, it happened to, you know, uh, <laughs> Donovan McNabb, it happened to, you know, when Andy Reid was there. So he's done this before. Um, it happened in this case. And then the other one was sort of a throwaway one with Tyrod Taylor, who was sort of a, you know, just caught in the middle of a team that accidentally made the playoffs last year with Buffalo, but still it's an unusual thing to do. It is. And would you call the Redskins side of it a bad move? I mean, well, Kirk Cousins wasn't coming back. Yeah. To me, the criticism of them is just the overall handling of cousins from the beginning when they Mm -hmm. probably could have done a more team friendly deal early on. They were not willing to, you know, give up on, uh, Robert Griffin the third. And there was just a, you know, a lot of stuff kind of, a lot of moving parts in that organization that led them to this point. Once you got to this point where he wasn't going to come back, I think they did a great job of getting a quarterback you can win with. You know, they, you're not gonna, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, they, it's not like they could get, Drew Brees, you know, I mean, they got the absolute most proven, steady, know what you're getting guy um, in Alex Smith, which in some ways, Alex Smith was a sure thing than Kirk Cousins, even, you know, because <laughs> he's gone to multiple places and done it, you know, for multiple coaches and been pretty good. So 
there's a nice recovery for them of a problem that was largely of their own making years right. ago. Yeah, and when it happened, I mean, I said Smith. I'd rather have Cousins than Smith, but Smith is coming off a much better year in 2017, although his supporting cast had a lot to do with it, and the Redskins O-line injuries, which just hit again, didn't help Cousins. But this leads me to the Vikings. I mean, the Vikings, not only, I mean, your headline is Minnesota Vikings letting you know Case Keenum walk in free agency after a 13-3 season, which is a really tough decision. They also moved on from Bridgewater, they also moved on from Bradford. So they traded three quarterbacks for one. <laughs> and that passing game is carrying the offense now with questionable O-line and no Dalvin Cook. So I think Vikes are pretty happy with their decision. Oh, I think so too. You know, And they were also able to re-sign some of their key players. I mean, if you the criticism on Sonny Cousins is, well, what does it cost you? You know, what, what are you able to do? I think they've done a good job of being able to keep their core together. Now, it'll affect their flexibility to add players here or there probably over the next couple seasons. But, you know, they're sort of, they're, you know, people are, we're all focusing on uh, the Saints as go, going all in for this season. But I think in some ways the, you know, the Vikings are too by making this move and they're right in it. I mean, they, right. defense is starting to play better, you know, and, and Cousins has been, Good. You know, 17 touchdown passes, five interceptions, his passer ratings in triple digits. He's, I think he's about a 65 QBR. He's completing 71%. And, you know, you would hope for them that, hey, you know, get some improved health, you know, get you have that running game late in the year. Maybe they can make some noise too. Yeah. And they also added Sheldon Richardson, which is a, a win now move too, that kind of went under the radar after signing Cousins to a monster deal. Yep. Um, there's so many things here to talk about, but the, the last one I want to discuss before we go to a quick break, and then I got some other ones to bring up, was a good move, is the Colts trading the third overall pick to the Jets. And I want to talk about this one first, because the two teams that I've been saying, look out next year, are the Colts and the Jets. Because they have gobs and gobs of cap space, they should have more, res- you know, pretty strong resources in the draft. You know, the Colts pick up extra picks and have built an offensive line, and they're very help, happy with Nelson. Leonard looks like a stud in the, in the second round. Um, they're very much going the right direction, and luck is healthy. The Jets, I don't feel as confident about going forward, but I do think they are going to surround Darnold with obscene amounts of talent, and maybe Le'Veon Bell adds up there, or who knows. Darnold is far from a sure thing as luck, but this trade, in the end, might get both these teams what they want. It could. I do agree with you, though, that I don't know what Darnold is. Right. And I think uh, going in, you know, four months before the draft, I think most people would have thought he would be the number one quarterback taken. So, you know, uh, taking a long-range view here, I'm not going to we, – we don't know if that's true, and we can't read too much into how he's doing this season. I mean, every time I watch one of those Peyton Manning detail things on ESPN, I'm reminded of how bad he looked at times as a rookie and threw a ton of interceptions. So Darnold threw four yeah, the other day right. and easily could have thrown six. So um, I I 100% agree, agree on the Colts, and I sort of – probably like you, I 60% agree on the Jets. I'm mm-hmm. less sure about them. I when you talk about the cap room, though, I don't think the Colts are going to be this huge free agency team. To me, Chris Ballard's got this long-range view, and they may make a move here or there. But I don't see them 
know, they didn't even make a big move at the trading deadline. You know, and I thought they could have been in. In fact, I think they may have been in on Devontae Parker. But then when the when the Dolphins had their receiver injuries, he sort of, you know, the price probably went up or they weren't willing to, to move on from him. But there, that is the, the tortoise wins the race for the Colts. They are taking a long range view and I think they are going to be really good. And I'm not so sure they wouldn't have taken Nelson at three anyway. Yeah, that's a hard one. Maybe Chubb, but you know. Yeah, Ch- Chubb would have made that uh, tough decision, but I do. Well, you know, you may be right because they. I'll put it this way: I won't be surprised if they go offensive line again next year. Really? You know, I mean, just just look where Costanzo's at, and mm-hmm. and if there's a tackle there, I mean, I think they've made it clear that they're gonna have they're gonna be good up front. Uh, and you got that with the quarterback. You build the defense along. Um, I like their plan. Yeah, I do too. Um, I'm going to take a real quick break, and then I'll discuss a couple of the bad moves. These are interesting as well. All right, at the top of the list of bad moves is the headline is Cleveland Browns putting together the most volatile coaching staff mix possible. (laughs) And yes, I mean, clearly that did not go as planned. I think any of us that had any sort of clue could see the volatility there. I'm going to take it a step further, though, and I was really critical of the team for even bringing Hugh back to begin with. You know, like, you you had a new GM. Why not? You're getting a new quarterback with the first overall pick. Why not make the move last year? It felt owner-driven to me. There's no way, to me, John Dorsey as the GM wants to go in there and bring back the 1-31 and coach, you know. And, And that's this just all feels sort of convoluted. You know, they're making a move. Here, that doesn't match the setter move there, and then you end up in this situation. So, you know, I've been talking to people this week in the league about, okay, you know, will will they be able to attract, you know, the young rising coach, or, you know, is a Lincoln Riley really going to want to go there? And, but then on the other hand, we were saying, all right, would you rather have this job or the cowboy job where you got to deal with Jerry Jones in a different way? You know, mm-hmm. Jerry Jones is known as this master of business and making a ton of money, but he has brings his own limitations to the coach too. So there aren't perfect. I guess the lesson is there, there are few perfect situations around the league for these coaches. And if you can convince them, them, yeah, if you can convince these guys that, Hey, we, if you like Baker Mayfield, you like some of the personnel, and you like the fact that John Dorsey's going to bring in good football players, which I think he is, why not? So I'm very interested to see what they do. I think it can still be a decent opportunity, but um, you are swimming upstream with the ownership there. Yeah, no doubt. Um, a- another headline is New York Giants making Nate Solder the highest-paid offensive lineman in NFL history. And I'm going to put a 1B on that that isn't getting as much publicity because the fan bases and cities are very different. But Andrew Norwell's not working out for the Jaguars either. A mm. couple of high... Well, it, it probably shows you... Um, it, it's hard to find good players on the offensive line. So yeah, right. when there's guys who have a couple of skins on the wall, you know, they... They end up having a lot of value in free agency. So I have not studied Norwell. What is going on there? Why is he having such a tough time, according to you? Yeah, I mean, I haven't studied him directly, but he's not a difference maker. He's looks a little heavy-footed. The offensive line is shuffled. It's They're not getting their money out of him. I mean, to me, that's like one of the underreported stories of, yeah. you know, it's easy to blame Bortles, and it's easy to 
Fournette's not there, or maybe the defense isn't an A-plus anymore. But you went all in on this guy to make the, the line a real strength, and he's been more of a liability than an asset. Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't notice. I did. I didn't notice that one standing out as much. I think it's funny. Shoulder stand on here. The shoulder one. I. I think I actually. I meant to even have more to the headline. It was the. It was going to. And the piece is tied into this, but it was sort of going all in on him because you believed it could help salvage Eli. You know, and yeah. Um, you know, maybe the evalu- the evaluation of Eli is part of this too. Uh, it's funny though. I've had. I love just talking to guys around the league, and there's a, there's varying opinions, and one of them is that um, you know Eli's not as bad as people think, and their their line is just still terrible, and it's so bad that you know a lot of these guys you get to a certain age or in your career you don't want to get hit anymore, and when you're going to get hit all the time, it really affects his play. So I don't know that they can fix the line in time. I think it, it feels like to me they're going to move on to a new quarterback. And then that quarterback will have to deal with the fact with probably line. that they don't have a good line. So. Yeah, that, that team's a disaster. <sighs> Tough. Um, speaking of Jags, if I were to rewrite this article, one that I would write, and I was been very critical of the Jags the last two years, was my headline would be not adding an insurance or competition for Blake Bortles. It, it boggled my mind that they've done nothing the last two years. I agree with you. Yeah. That that was one of my, okay, so I had, that was one of my, you know, when I did this, I couldn't have 50 items, but I had right, probably, right. I had about five or six more on these, and that was one of them. And then I didn't really chicken out, but, you know, in my conversations with people around the league, you know, one of the points that's brought up is, yeah, but there aren't good backups. You're just going to have a guy you're going to lose with, too. Yeah, I know, lose, but... What are you going to do? Look at all these other teams that are going to their backups. You're not winning with them. I mean, even Sam Bradford, who signed as a pseudo-starter, doesn't even make it through the year. He doesn't even make it five games. So if you're going in on Bortles, there isn't a... You know, I guess, who would it be? Would it be Tyrod Taylor or, you know, uh, who who could they have gotten? Once you got $19 million or whatever it is in on him, what's your budget? Do you want to go $5 million a year? Is it Bridgewater? You know, what what would you who would you have on your team? Probably. Well, I definitely would have had Lamar Jackson. Okay, um, I like that. I, I probably, like that better for him than yeah. better for them than with Baltimore, probably. Right. Um, in the second round, I would have taken Mason Rudolph. Not okay. that, not that he's a superstar, or I think he's the next coming, but at least it's another plan. It's something you could go to that's cheap, and it wasn't like your team had a lot of draft needs. You know, you're drafting defensive linemen and replacement people for guys that are going to leave in free agency. And I don't love Bridgewater. I don't love Taylor. But those would have been two guys I would have considered to in the free in, in free agency if the, if the so, price yeah. is right. So at, at 29, they end up taking a defensive lineman, right? They mm-hmm. took the, the D-tackle Bryan, Florida. Yeah. yeah. And then they're, then at 61, they took DJ Chark, right? Is that right? Right. Uh, wide receiver. So there were opportunities in there. You know, to take a to take a quarterback and and try to do that, and I think, in, philosophically, I would have agreed with that. Although, I don't think you know they they they're trying to win the Super Bowl this year, right? Right. So, to me, that's only happening if the Norwell thing works out well, Fournette works out, you're running really, you're running the ball great, and you're that A plus on defense, which I think they're an A minus on defense now or a B plus, right? right? So they've kind of everything has come down from the level it needed to be to win with Blake Bortles. And so it has made, it has shifted a little bit more of the burden onto Bortles and you can't do that. He can't do that, but they knew that. 
So if you had a rookie quarterback, you're not winning the championship with him either, unless all those other things are A pluses. So they needed every, for their quarterback situation, they were going to need all those other things to be A pluses. A lot of them were A pluses last year. They still only went ten and six. I mean, people think that they were thirteen and three. And they, they were the easiest schedule in the league last year. Yeah, they were ten and six. So, you know, I I get what they did because I don't know. I guess in retrospect, would you do, would you have been all over Kirk Cousins? Is that what they should have done? Hmm. The thing is, I I didn't. I, I have to be honest. I like Cousins more now than I did then. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You and know. he was kind of coming off a you know not a so-so year you know but I didn't trust would, him. Would, and, and to me, would Cousins in that offense have the numbers and production that he has now? I don't think so. I think Probably we would not. be sitting there, and Cousins would have a year you know would be a little bit more closer to average numbers, and we'd be saying, "Gall, that's not enough either. They're not going to win at all." So I, I don't what, know. What about Alex Smith in that offense? Oh yeah, I mean, Alex Smith. They're a much better team with Alex Smith. Yeah, but the Kansas City Chiefs controlled where Alex Smith right, went. And, right. You know, I was having a conversation on a radio yesterday. Someone was talking about, eh, these GMs now don't really seem to mind trading in the conference. And I said, yeah, they do when they're trading good players. Khalil Mack didn't go in the conference. <laughs> right. Alex Smith didn't go in the conference. It's like Golden Tate, that's a different deal. I mean, he's a nice piece for Philly, but that's not the game changer, you know? Right. Um, there's two more that I wanted to bring up. One's a small one. Trading for Cordy Glenn worked out pretty well for Cincinnati, considering where that line was a year ago. It did, and that, that's really under the radar. And you know, yeah, they moved back side, a couple spots. I know, and on the flip side, Buffalo—that was part right. of a million. That was part of a million things Buffalo gave up to get Josh Allen, who's not playing now. So um, tough for them, but yeah, that was a nice addition. Yeah, I, I mean. Not only did they go all in for Josh Allen, but I also think they went all in for Tremaine Edwards, you know, looking at them like, you're my Cam Newton, you're my Luke Keekley, you're going to quarterback the offense for the next 12 years, you're going to quarterback the defense for the next 12 years. And I don't know if it's worked or not, but it was a lot of assets to get two highly volatile prospects. Yep. No, I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. So, uh, I, from the Bengals' standpoint, though, that is an, that's an under-the-radar. Maybe that... I'll give you this idea. Why don't you do, you should do a column for John Clayton football or whatever you want to do it for on uh, the underrated moves. Yeah. I think I mean, under, underrated moves. moves should be a good one. Just moves. No one's talking about that are good moves or bad like Norwell, a couple of these lineman moves and things like that. Yeah. I yep. mean, that's the, a good angle. Here's the huge one. Then I want to take another break and we'll break, get to Thursday night football. Um, and it's working out very well. I don't know if we'll be happy about it three years from now. But the Rams' approach to go all in this offseason, you know, Brandon Cook, Sue, Peters, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, clearly it's working out. But, I mean, it was it's a massive gamble. Yeah, there wasn't any one move. I, I was like, so when I did this best and worst moves, the first thing I did was just sort the standings of the records, you know, to see like, okay, you would think some of the better moves would be associated with these teams at the top. Is there a team I'm leaving out that's, a great, that's doing great? And um, I don't know if I had the Saints or the – or the you could have put the Saints on there for re-signing Breeze at a discount, but that's a no-brainer. I mean, no one's going right. to be—they weren't going to let him leave. But the Rams just did a lot of things. Um, now they don't think it's as big of a risk, um, you know, as as we just sort of naturally, instinctively uh, do, because in a lot of cases they're not on the hook with a ton of contracts. You know, it's not like they 
signed up Marcus Peters for the next five years or Akib Talib the next five years or Ndamukong Sue the next five years, they sort of skillfully played the system in that uh, in those moves, when you're acquiring a player by trade or signing a guy who's cut, um, it doesn't affect your compensatory pick equation. So they were a team that had, I believe, three third-round picks for next year, and they end up using one of them for Dante Fowler, and they still have additional picks. So they've also, I believe, maybe hit on a couple of the offensive linemen they drafted. Is that true? Did they, they they drafted a couple guys who look pretty good, right? Yeah. The kid Blythe, the guard, I always have Mike Renner on on Wednesdays, and, yeah. and Pro Football Focus is in love with this guy, and the line in general looks really good, and... Sullivan and Whitworth, the two older dudes everybody knows, I'm not saying they're weak links, but they're not even necessarily the best guys on the line anymore. So they're in pretty good shape, yeah. Yeah, cause, yeah, because I've been thinking, hey, what, you know, those guys are the oldest guys in the league at their position, left tackle and center. So I've kind of been waiting for the Rams fall here in the next year or two. But if you have other parts ready to go in, you've got Gurley signed. You, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to let Goff go. You've got Cooks for the long term. Aaron Donald. Um, you've got Aaron Donald for the long term. Um, what is it that they're not going to be able to do in the future based on what they are doing now? Where, what is the risk? I, I can see yeah, you, you a, a window. Well. I can see the window closing as some of these guys come off the team, but they're just going to keep making moves. They're not going to just be done, right? I mean, they're going to keep drafting players. They're going to be opportunistic in the market. So um, that's an interesting concept. What is? What are they risking? What is the downside to what the Rams are doing? And I don't know. They've picked some good players on their team. Yeah, Cooper <laughs> Cup and a couple yeah, guys will Cooper be there Cup's for a while. And right. Yeah. No, yeah, you're so right. Now, now, when you pay Jared Goff, you don't get Dominican Sue for fourteen million a year. Usually. <laughs> sure. So you know that, and but that's everybody in the league. You know, so um, I think the interesting thing there, yeah, I think you have to re-sign Goff. I don't think you can just go mm-hmm. get another cheap quarterback. I think he's better than that. So they're window will change, but it doesn't necessarily just slam shut. It just becomes harder to squeeze through. No doubt. And there's many more moves we could discuss. Um, maybe we'll even talk about it some more next week, too. This is fun. Um, I'm going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to break down the Thursday nighter. It's a good one. All right. Mike, this has been a short week for me, too. I mean, I do my, my two-hour Steeler Nation radio show every week, and usually we talk Steelers, you know, the, the last game for a while, and an injury, and Antonio Brown does something stupid, and Le'Veon Bell hasn't reported. But now it's like well, I gotta start thinking Panthers two days ago. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's such a rapid week. And my, one of my thoughts along those lines, from a Steeler perspective, is you love that you know this is a really good opponent that Pittsburgh has coming tonight. Is it's great that you get them on a short week here because a tough place to play. These teams aren't that familiar with each other. Um, yeah, out of conference, out of conference. Right. Yeah. I mean, Steelers out of conference here does really, really well. But this offense, this offense, I wish I had all seven days to prepare for. They throw a lot at you. They really do. North Turner has been. He was on my list. Of I know. Good I skipped moves. it for I mean, that reason. Yeah. And I, and I think, uh, you know, I mean, look, North Turner's been a. If there was a Hall of Fame for coordinators, North Turner's a charter member. I mean, he's he's been a great coordinator in the NFL has a lot of accomplishments. Um, but you just didn't know at this stage, is he going to be the right guy for Cam Newton? I thought you kind of think of Norv Turner's got his way of doing things. He's not changing for somebody, right? You come in and you learn my system. That's what that's what you would think. No, Norv Turner's gone in there, and he's got 
I mean, borderline triple option type plays, you know, <laughs> for, awesome. for Cam Newton. They have some really nice pieces. You know, I think whenever Norv's had a good, he knows how to use a running back and he knows how to use a tight end, right? And then they got this DJ Moore in the draft. Um, there are good pieces on the team for him to, there's really, I'm not going to say unique, but some of them are unique. You know, McCaffrey and Cam Newton are unique players. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah. And even Curtis Samuel and yeah, you know, like they're, they're extremely fast at every skill position and they're extremely versatile at every skill position. So in my, every week I do a piece for E plus that talks to people in the league about, uh, the matchups, the best five or six best games in the league. And I did some of my own research on North Turner with this offense. So here's, here's what I got. Newton is throwing, well, put it this way. They lead the league in explosive rushes. Okay. This team, yeah. 12 plus rushes. And that's quarterback, that's receiver, that's running back. They are last in the league in completed passes on throws, 20 or more yards down the field. They're not going deep. So Newton's throwing short. He, through eight games, has matched or surpassed his career highs in these categories for first eight games. Completion percentage, touchdown passes, fewest interceptions, TD to interception ratio, percentage of passes that are touchdowns, percentage of passes that are interceptions, passer rating, triple digits, by the way, sack rate is the lowest it's been, and even his QBR uh, is the highest. So, that's an awesome success story because Cam Newton was headed in the other direction the last two years. He mm-hmm. looked like he was a declining player. And you're almost waiting, is he going to get hurt now? And then we're going to not hear from him. And now he's revitalized in this awesome way. It really is. I mean, I think it's it, – they had such a plan for him early in his careers. We're going to get big slash slow receivers with huge catching radiuses. We're going to drive the ball down the field and we'll run the ball with a power back. Well, it's kind of the total opposite now. You know, like I thought Turner was going to come in and be like, that's our plan. Seven step drops. We're going to do what Troy did and <laughs> Philip Rivers. And it's remarkable that they've changed so much. And now they attack you horizontally much more than vertically and are great after the catch. Yep. And to see, Norv was out for a year. Or was he out for even two? You see, Norv was out for a while. And obviously, he was not idle. He was studying ball and studying Cam. And, you know, I've known Norv for a number of years. And, and I know he's always liked Cam. You know, he, he's always thought highly of him. Uh, but I didn't know how that fit was going to be. So um, great job by him. Great job by Cam. Great job that organization. Because when they got rid of Mike Shula... I thought, God, Mike Shula's done a pretty good job of tailoring that offense for Cam. I know the results hadn't been good the last couple of years, but I kind of thought it was personnel and maybe even Cam. And so great job by them making a move that probably wasn't easy to make and bringing in Norv Turner when you didn't, you know, there were no guarantees he was going to tailor things the way he has. And boy, it looks pretty good. Yeah, it sure does. The other side of the ball, though, is why I'm going to take Pittsburgh tonight. And the home field advantage, short week, Ben at home, all those things. I like the Panthers' D. I love their linebackers, as anyone that knows anything would. But I don't think that this is necessarily a wonderful matchup for on paper. That I don't think they have an answer for Antonio Brown. Yep. I don't think they're allowing a lot of production... Out of the slot, I think Juju's going to have a big day. I think Vance McDonald's going to be a problem. And I don't think they'll get to Ben at all. 
hundred than that. This year. Right, you right. Defensively, and you James Conner's averaging on the field. Yeah, and James <laughs> Conner's averaging one hundred and seventy-two yards from scrimmage the last month. So you think there might be some points in the game? I do, and I think Ben has a big game. I think the stars come out for Pittsburgh in a really fun game. But I got like thirty-two twenty-eight Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think to, to me, and every every season is different. But the the Panthers to me are kind of a classic front-running team. They have been. You know, they sort of ridden the emotional highs and lows of Cam Newton, and when they get out on you, man, it can be a party. You know, it can be a Panther party. That's hard for me to see the way Pittsburgh's playing right now. You know, I think they've had they've won four in a row, right? And I think every opponent they played has scored between sixteen and twenty-one points um, in those games. That's pretty good. And those teams are averaging twenty-five points a game against everyone else this season. So nice job by them defensively. I think this is a different kind of challenge. And so my one yeah, but to what you're saying is, you know, on a short week, getting ready for an opponent like Cam Newton and this offense is I think it's the um, the defense for the Steelers. You know, could take a step back in this game. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. You know, this this is a load coming. It's a freight train coming in Carolina. They have the ability, so I can't wait for the game. Yeah, me too. I think it's going to be a blast. Um, Mike, this was a blast. And again, there were so many offseason moves that we could have kept talking about. We, it's, I feel like every Thursday we could talk for hours. Um, let's do it again next week, though. Can't wait. Thanks, Matt. All right, man. Take care. See you.